Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and Kala teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself, supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Bodies and Souls podcast. Your hosts for today are Sarah Lowenthal and... We are so excited to be interviewing Eva Klein, a certified child and infant sleep trainer and consultant. Eva is the founder of MySleepingBaby.com, as well as the Sleep Bible program. Eva has become a voice of authority and expertise about children's sleeping and mental health here in Toronto and worldwide. Not only is Eva going to share some pearls of wisdom with us today, but as you'll see, Eva is a lot of fun to speak to. I have the most amazing memories of hanging in the park with Eva and just feeling really inspired and excited to go home to my babies. Eva is a lot of fun, and we thank Eva for giving of her time today. Eva, let's begin with you telling us about yourself and how, do you get, how did you get into this line of work? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you, ladies, so much for having me. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. Um, so I got into this business completely by accident. This is like accidental entrepreneurship <laughs> to the T, where basically I started off my working career as a lawyer. So I graduated law school back in 2011, um, had my first baby shortly after finishing law school. And she was this baby who, you know, thank God was this super easygoing, happy baby that literally made me look like the best mom in the entire world. Like, you know, those babies that everyone goes, wow, you must be the most amazing mom ever. And you're like, I know, you know, thanks. And then, um, you know, those babies, (laughs) totally. Um, some of them, like I have one kid that I'm always like, people are like, oh, she's amazing. I'm like, nothing to do with me. I promise you. (laughs) So that was my first. And so naturally she was this amazing sleeper, which was thank God exactly what I needed at that point in my life, because I was articling full-time, which is like a full-time paid mandatory internship that you basically need to do here in Canada to get called to the bar. And then I was also studying for the bar exam as well in the evenings. So I was like literally working around the clock and thank God, the only thing that kept me relatively sane was the fact that my baby was so easygoing and a great sleeper. And so fast forward a couple of years later, I gave birth to my second baby and she, I could even tell in the delivery room was a very different baby. I remember saying to my husband, like, why is she still crying? Like, 
she's we changed her like she's feeding like you you know we bathed her like what's going on and it turns out that she was one of those babies that would cry a lot and needed to be held all the time and would go from zero to 10 at the drop of a hat and was very um, sensitive and needy and naturally sleep was just not something that came along with that. And so I was literally waking up with her every 90 minutes all night long for months at a time. And uh, I thought I was going to die, like literally just thought I was going to collapse. And so Eva, were you working at this time? No. So thankfully I was on maternity leave, but I also had my toddler Mm. who thankfully was in a full-time nursery program. So that kept me alive. But even though I wasn't working, Mm. I was suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, just want to put that out there. A lot of people, because, and I'm glad that you asked that because I do get moms that will say to me, yeah, you know, I would love to get her sleeping, but I'm also on mat leave. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not like I have to go to work or anything, but then I have to remind them, yeah, but you still have to get through the day chronically sleep deprived. Like, let's not forget that that's used as a form of torture in prison. And <laughs> Eva, let's not forget that working is easier than staying at home. Totally. Yeah. Cause at least you can distract yourself, Mm -hmm. but even so, you know, working, not working when your body isn't getting uninterrupted sleep, you go into fight or flight mode, like physiologically Mm -hmm. where you're not literally, it's just a matter of surviving. You're not able to enjoy life the way that you probably want to, because you're, you're cranky, you're irritable, you're miserable, your, your ability to regulate your emotions just goes out the window. The glass becomes half empty where everything just feels impossible. Your patience levels go out the window. It's really, really awful. And -hmm. like, let's not, you know, downplay what chronic sleep deprivation does to us. And I think that Sometimes, you know, in in certain circles or just generally speaking, there is this very toxic messaging out there that says, well, that's normal. Well, you're Mm -hmm. a mom and like Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be a tired mom. And like, well, what did you expect? What did you know? What what did you and and which basically then says, well, if you're complaining that you're tired, like that's your problem. Like you need to suck it up. Right. You need to know that. Uh, and that's wrong. You know that there's a link between like postpartum anxiety, postpartum psychosis, postpartum depression, and not getting five consecutive hours of sleep. And I wonder like how many moms actually get five consecutive hours of sleep. And I always tell moms like after they have the baby, like you need five hours and there are moms like you with your first baby who were like, eh, that's easy. No problem. Yeah. And then there are moms who are not getting that a year into having their baby. Right. Right. You know what I, I compare it to? Cause you know, sleep is just as essential as food is. Mm-hmm. And so I think the best analogy, you know, for people who are not in the world of they're, they're maybe they're not in that stage of life and they have forgotten what sleep deprivation feels like, or maybe, you know, it's the dad that doesn't really do a lot of the night wakings. It can't really appreciate it. It's kind of like, well, imagine that you haven't had a proper meal in two months, three months, four months, five months. Imagine that for the last five months, you've been living off of stale pretzels and flat Coke. How are you going to feel? 
Such a good analogy. How are you going to feel? You're going to feel like garbage. Well, why do you feel like garbage? Mind over matter. Mind over matter. Let's use the same advice. You just have to suck it up. This is life. You just have to figure out how to be happy and in the best mood ever and be the best dad and husband in the entire world while living off of stale pretzels and flat Coke. It's not possible. It's not possible. So what would be your like top thing that you tell parents? Like, what do you suggest to parents? Obviously, they're going to start with the regular basics. Let's feed the baby. Let's change the baby. Let's swaddle the baby. Let's give the baby some sort of nighttime routine, et cetera. Um, right. What do you suggest past that? Because a lot of parents come in with some sort of knowledge, but. Right. Well, I think the first thing that's essential to acknowledge is the fact that you don't have to live like this if you don't want to. Like, I think that it's really, really crucial for us to chuck that toxic messaging out the window, um, take off that badge of honor, you know, that, you know, mommy martyrdom competition. Like I only slept three hours and I still did carpool and made dinner and did homework and did my job and didn't get fired. And okay. Meanwhile, and are you having a breakdown in like Mm -hmm. your closet? You know, let's like, let's be real. That's not something that we should be aspiring to, um, because it's not healthy for anyone. It's not doable. Like let's, take off this, let's take away this competition of like, who's a bigger, you know, super mom here, because that's a, it's a competition that is a recipe for disaster. Um, Because that's ultimately how I got into this business, right? Was that middle child of mine, um, who was the, the catalyst basically for me launching my side business that turned into a full-time thing. Um, And so when I'm helping, when, when a family reaches out for help, because their little one is waking them up all night long and they know their baby's already, let's say four or five, six months and older. They know they don't need to be waking up all night long to eat. They don't have a newborn anymore, but they don't know what to do. The reality is that there's, there's a multitude of things going on. Like, it's not just a matter of like, oh, just do this and oh, just do that. And then, you know, boom, your baby will start sleeping like a champ. But I do want to assure you that with the right plan in place, like we can get even the strong willed babies sleeping like champs at night. And so one thing that I one one of the things that I tell parents to focus on is the daytime schedule. So a lot of people don't realize I think that there is this misconception out there that a baby's night wakings are caused solely by hunger. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. And they think, well, I have low milk supply, or I think I have low milk supply. Mm-hmm. I mean, just there's a difference. <laughs> I think I have low milk supply. And therefore, that's why my six month old is still waking me up every two hours. When the reality is that's actually probably not the case because night wakings can be caused by way more factors than just that. It's not as simplistic. So, what are one of those other factors? overtiredness. So namely, you have a baby who is not napping when they need to be napping. Rather than napping an hour and a half, they're only napping 30 minutes at a time. And then they're very overtired throughout the day. Or maybe they're also up for too long between naps and they're up for too long before bedtime. And then physiologically, what that overtiredness does is it causes their cortisol levels to go up. And so when they have higher levels of cortisol, it's going to make it much, much harder for them to fall asleep initially 
And it's going to make it much harder for them to stay asleep because this baby is now going to be wired. And so very often people will tell me, even my baby was up from three until 5 a.m. last night, like playing around, playing, you know, that's classic overtiredness to me. Mm. No question about it. Um, Even if you have a baby that just seems to be restless and unsettled, that's very often at least partially caused by that baby being overtired due to a daytime schedule that just isn't age appropriate. And so it's important to remember that what goes on during the day, it does directly impact what happens at night. And so a lot of people think that you can just fix what's happening at night at nighttime, not realizing that it's what's happening during the day that needs to be fixed first. And sometimes the problems at night go away or at least minimize when you have that baby napping when they need to be napping. So that's a really, 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 I would say huge, unavoidable puzzle piece here. So what you're saying is that one of the things that parents really need to focus on is not having an overtired baby. So cutting out that nap in the hopes of a better sleep is actually counterproductive. Yes. Yeah. And that's the main thing that you see when you talk to parents. Yes. I I would say that that is, um, look, when a, when a family comes to me with a six month old, for example, waking up every two hours all night long, there's usually a handful of things going on. But I can tell you that one of the most common factors that I see in that bundle of things is overtiredness. And yes, thinking like, well, my my baby can't be napping at four or five o'clock. Like that's too late. That's going to ruin bedtime. And so instead, I'm just going to stretch them out and keep them up for this big chunk of time before bedtime so that they're nice and tired which totally ends up backfiring. Rifki is uh, raising her hand. That's yeah. me. That's me. I have so a 23 year old who still doesn't sleep through the night. I'm not even kidding. Like okay. how old? I'm, I'm embarrassed. I said 23 months. I how, promise. Like, Eva, Eva, how old that? is your oldest client? <laughs> how old? Like the child? Yeah, the child. Five. five there six. you go, Rifki. Yeah, I, okay. I feel a little better. Yeah. No, <laughs> by the way, also baby just... number five. So we, we know, quote unquote, what we're doing, right? Because no, we've done it successfully no. with four babies, but apparently baby number five, you are a first time mom again. Nope. Who knew? Nope. I, I have, I had a Revis in here hire me for her 10th. Oh, I love for that. her 10th baby. I yes. love that. Because here's, here's the reality is that, you know, yes, you might have, Kanainahara, you might have five of your own children, but it doesn't necessarily make you an expert at Mm. everything to do with raising children, right? Getting a child to consistently sleep through the night is not, it's not common sense. It's not intuitive. You know, it's, it's science, it's sleep science, it's behavioral science and routines and proper sleep hygiene. And it's not something that people can just intuitively know, right? And so clearly what probably happened was that maybe your first four with your first four kids, sleep may have been something that just came more naturally to them. And so it's kind of like with those kids that are a little bit more easygoing, they're more, they're naturally just good at sleeping. So good enough 
may have been good enough. Like in terms of, you know, Hey, I'm an average mom. I know a little bit about schedules and, you know, creating a good sleep environment. And so it was good enough to get them sleeping through the night, which is amazing. But with baby number five, good enough might not be good enough. They might need all their I's dotted and all their T's crossed. But then guess what? That's all you got to do is just have that proper plan in place, you know, addressing everything going on. Because I can tell you for a fact that your 23-month-old is not a non-sleeping alien child incapable of figuring this out. That's I'm so glad that's to what hear I, that. <laughs> Eva. I can, I can, I can promise you that. And I know it, and trust me, I get, I get people reaching out to me. I'm so embarrassed. This is my second baby and I should really know how to do this, but I'm stumped second baby. And so this is when I always bring up the mom of the 10 kids. I was like, don't worry. Like I have a mom reach. And, and I asked her, I was like 10 kids and you're still stumped. And she's like, and she said flat out, she's like, look, I could spend the next 24 hours Googling and tearing my hair out, figuring out what to do, or I can take a shortcut. I can, I can have you tell me what to do. And you've worked with more than 10 kids. I said, yeah, I've worked with about 2000 families. Right. So, you know, not to downplay the five kids, but like I see your five kids and I can up you by another, you know, nine, 1995. <laughs> and so as a professional, it's like I, I see what works. I see what doesn't. You see patterns. You see things that, you know, have worked with like hundreds of two year olds. And then, of course, you tweak it as you go along, given that we're working with, you know, an individual baby here, not a robot. But Having worked with those 2000 families to date, I can tell you very, very confidently that this is fixable and that you don't have to live like this if you don't want to. Eva, you brought us straight into our next question that I had for you. First of all, I just need to tell you that I love your holistic approach. I love how you look at the big picture and you don't just zone in on, you know, 3 a.m. Why isn't this kid sleeping? You really look at Mm -hmm. patterns throughout. And I also just it's really resonating for me to hear you compare sleep to other types of hygiene or healthy habits in our life. And that it's not something we can assume that's innate and we, it's something we need to work on. So thank you. This is um, really eye opening. but what I wanted to ask you, cause you said like this mom could have Googled and found that information herself. Do you find that a lot of your clients come to you with the information? Like it's out there. We all kind of understand the concepts and we know sort of the different methods, like, you know, it's the talk in the park, quote unquote, but what you're really needed for is like the hand holding, like people need support and they need the reassurance from you. Like yes a coach. And no. Yes and no. So yes, they definitely do come for the support and the hand holding as well. But I do just want to emphasize that Google is definitely a double-edged sword in that there is a lot of, I, I get a lot of moms reaching out who actually don't necessarily need the handholding. They need to be told what to do because Google hasn't helped them because there is so much information out there and a lot of it is conflicting and it can be very overwhelming because you have one blog article saying to do this and then you have another blog article saying to do that and you you implemented this one particular piece of advice that might have gotten you a quick win for like two days only Mm -hmm. for your kid to go back to sleeping like garbage. Mm -hmm. And it can be incredibly exhausting and frustrating to try to navigate through this world of conflicting advice. 
Mm-hmm. And the reality is that there's a lot of really bad advice out there on Google, like, you know, just stuff telling moms to do things like, for example, you know, make sure that your baby doesn't nap past four o'clock. And I'm like, your baby of what age? <laughs> it's not clarifying that your baby that's on what kind of schedule, the baby waking up at 630 AM or the baby waking up at 8 AM. Google's not telling you that, right? They're just giving this very generic advice, which leaves so many moms so overwhelmed because they don't know if that applies to their baby or how it applies to their baby. And so I do get a lot of moms reaching out who have literally Googled everything and they're still at square one. Mm -hmm. They still haven't been able to make progress. So Because it's not just a matter of getting your hands on the information. It's a matter of getting your hands on the right information. It's a matter of getting your hands on all the right information. Because remember, if you're just addressing this puzzle piece, like the overtiredness, but you're not addressing the bedtime routine puzzle piece or how they're falling asleep or daytime nutrition or their sleep environment, and it's not all being addressed simultaneously, then you might not see results either. So... That's what I mean where I say that Google can be a bit of a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. because sometimes I do get moms who have literally been spending the last month trying to figure it out on their own and then feel like an absolute failure when they haven't been able to. And my response is like, don't worry about it. Like when my toilet was clogged, like I tried figuring it out on my own (laughs) and I couldn't. And then that's why I hired a plumber and the plumber fixed it, right? By the way, I do not know how to plunge a toilet. Right. Right. So I can, it's one thing to plunge a toilet. It's like another thing when your, you know, two-year-old like dumps his toys inside. Okay. And then you won't be able to fix it on your own. You know, even if you spend the next, you know, month (laughs) YouTubing it by yourself, it's the same kind of idea, right? Like it's not a reflection on you. It's not a reflection on your ability to mother or know your kid. It's, It's simply a reflection of the fact that like, we can't all be experts at everything. And this is why, thank God we have people that we can reach out to, to help with these specific pain points that we don't just have to suffer silently, which by the way, was what our parents all had to do when they were raising us. Like, I know that my mom and my aunts to this day, like they still say like, gosh, I needed you. When Mm -hmm. I was raising, you know, my kids 30 something years ago, like, you know, one of my aunts was like, I, I have a cousin, his name is Ronnie. And apparently when Ronnie was a baby, he could only sleep in a swing, except that the swings 35 ish years ago were not the electronic ones that stayed on. It was like a wind up swing and it would only swing for like 30 minutes before it would stop and then he would wake up. And so my aunt and uncle would literally take turns like rewinding the swing all night long. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's lunacy, but they didn't have any other, they didn't know what else to do. They didn't have anyone to reach out to for help. There wasn't, there wasn't even Google to tell them, you know, Hey, maybe try this or try that. It was, there was no support for them. It was just a matter of like, surviving and hoping and praying that they eventually outgrow it. And look, they do eventually outgrow it. Obviously, you're not going to have an 18-year-old that still needs to be sleeping in a swing all night long. But at what price, you know, for you to have to suffer for years on end? My mother developed a thyroid condition 
because she was so exhausted from being overtired for years. And, and it was just me and my sister. Like I'm one of two Hmm. and with two kids, you know, so I'm I'm putting the words just two in quotation marks here, right? Like she just had two kids that kept her up all night long and that threw her thyroid out of whack. And she's had thyroid issues ever since. Eva, you know, nowadays, if I'm, you know, I'm one of 12 and if we ask our mother for advice, she says she, she doesn't know. She probably blocked it out like probably try to block out that part of things like this sleep deprivation that she experienced over a what 20 year period, like yeah. for the 12 of you, 18, 20 years. She's period. an amazing mother. She's probably going to be listening to this, but she can't I'm give sure us advice. she is. I'm putting, I'm sure she is, but, but, but humans are human, right? Like Hashem designed us needing to sleep. <laughs> and when we're not getting interrupted sleep over a long period of time, it has physiological consequences on our bodies and emotional consequences on our mental health. Like it's, nobody can argue, like it's simply not ideal in the least bit. No, no, it's not. So you're saying that you, when a, when a parent comes to you, the Google's not going to work because you do like an in-depth analysis. Did I understand that correctly? Like, is that part of the process of you going to the house or talking to the parents, meeting the child, like no, what does the no, process look like for you? Does, does not, they do not need to, I do not need to go to their house. In fact, um, you know, when COVID hit, my business really wasn't impacted at all um, in terms of, you know, the day-to-day operations of things. Um, I work with people in one of two ways. So I either work with them one-on-one or they join my online coaching program called the Sleep Bible. And so with both of these support options, I take them through my step-by-step process where we're first addressing the sleep hygiene pieces. So we're looking at, you know, the baby's sleep environment, their routines down pat, their daytime nutrition, their emotional well-being. We then move on to address their daytime schedule, you know, their when are they waking, when are they napping, when's their bedtime. And then from there, we move on to the sleep training, which is where we teach that child how to fall asleep independently. And there's a number of different ways that we can go about doing that. There's no one size fits all approach here. Um, And then we move into what I like to call maintenance mode, where it's like, okay, your little one is sleeping like a champ. Let's keep it that way. (laughs) What do we need to know? What sorts of transitions and milestones and regressions can can, can we expect? And how do we make sure that your little one maintains their wickedly awesome sleep throughout it, which they absolutely can. So that's the step-by-step process, regardless of how people work with me that I take them through. What are the regression points? There is. Yes. Well, so I do just want to emphasize that these, there are some well-known regressions that happen, but they're not these guaranteed situations that are going to happen no matter what. So for example, around the eight to 10 month mark, there is a well-known regression that can happen, which is triggered by um, a slew of gross motor development. Mm -hmm. So baby is learning how to crawl, learning how to sit up, learning how to stand up, potentially even learning how to walk. They're not usually learning how to walk just then, but like crawling, sitting, standing up. And so that can cause a bit of a blip in the sleep department because their brains are just they're on overdrive, you know, trying to process everything. And um, 
and figure out this new skill. And so sometimes you, you know, you put them down and they're too excited to go to sleep. They just want to practice this new skill. The good news is that that is a phase where if you ride it out um, correctly, then their sleep will go back to the way that they were before, as long as you're not introducing all kinds of new habits that can reinforce it. So that's, you know, one example. Um, another example is I, I'll, I'll give you a real life example. Um, when my, so my youngest is three and when he was about two, there is a very well-known regression that can happen around the two year mark, which is basically 100% behavioral where it's like, congratulations, you now have a two-year-old and they are, they have mastered the word no, Mm -hmm. and they are exploring the world of boundaries and they're testing things out. Like, I wonder what happens if I say no, I don't want to go to sleep. Right. I mean, that's what they do with everything. I wonder what happens if I ask for jelly beans for dinner and then throw a big meltdown when mommy says no, like, I wonder what's going to happen. And so it was really funny. So like my, my son was about two at the time where normally our routine was, is, you know, I would take him upstairs and get him into his sleep sack and, you know, sing him his good night songs and do, you know, Shema and Hamal Chagoa. And then I'd put him down in the crib and he would lie down on his little pillow and I would tuck him in and say good night and leave. And so one day I put him in the crib and he wasn't laying down. He just sat up and looked at me with this like smirk on his face. And I said, JJ, it's, it's time to, you need to lie down. And he goes, no, no, he's not lying down. And so I was like, okay, this is cute, bud. Like, you don't know what mommy does for a living, do you? (laughs) You have no idea because uh, I got your number. Like, I know exactly what you're doing. He was testing me out. And so what would happen was I said to him, I said, okay, JJ, if you're not going to lie down, then mommy can't tuck you in and I'm going to leave. And so I left and he starts to cry. And so you see what moms can often find themselves in or what they might end up doing is they might just stay in the room the entire time because they're like, I can't leave. Otherwise he'll cry. But then the problem is that now you're stuck in baby jail for the next two hours because your kid is going to be too distracted by you to go to sleep. But then if you leave, he starts to cry. And so you're like, feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And then of course, if they get used to you sitting there till they fall asleep, there's a good chance they're going to wake up wanting you to go there in the middle of the night for them to fall back asleep. And so it can spiral into a really, really big problem. But thankfully mommy knew what she was doing. Um, And so instead I nipped it in the bud as quickly as possible, where every few minutes I opened the door and I said the same thing, JJ, if you lie down, Mommy will tuck you in. No! Okay, bye. I love you. Close the door. Five Mm -hmm. minutes later, did the same thing. And eventually, it didn't actually take that long, to be honest, because I think he saw that I really meant business. He's standing up. I said, JJ, lie down. Then mommy will tuck you in. And then he goes, lie down. (laughs) Finally, it was like, he got it. I tucked him in, continued the routine, left. That was it. I think he tried it a couple other times here and there. Um, He still gave that one a go, you know, to see if I would, you know, give in. But um, 
I responded in a way that didn't reward the shenanigans and make it into a much bigger issue. So was that very, very normal of him? A hundred percent, like super duper normal. But the key is to know, okay, how do you respond to it? So it doesn't turn into this much, much, much bigger problem. So I actually have two follow-up questions. Um, The first question that I have is, you talked about like regressions. I know when we talk about like breast milk and uh, breastfeeding, we talk about like when your period comes up, your breast milk, like your supply goes down. Do you see a correlation between like those type of regressions also, or just the ones that like are on a chart? No, she's shaking her head. No, no, no. like (laughs) really, like really, 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 truly not. Um, when look, obviously if we're talking about newborns, it's a little bit different. Um, but if we're talking about a baby, you know, at least a few months old where breastfeeding is established and everything is good and, you know, mom's milk supply is like good enough, then um, it doesn't make any difference in terms of what we're able to accomplish. In other words, like we can have the exact same goals for night sleep for a breastfed baby, as well as a bottle fed baby. Yes. The breastfed baby's daytime feeding patterns are going to look very different than that of a bottle fed baby. Normally they just have to be eating more frequently during the day, but it doesn't mean that all of a sudden this baby now has to be, you know, eating all night long. I mean, I would imagine again, I haven't um, seen this sort of phenomenon happen with any of my clients, but you know, my common sense dictates that even if that does happen, it would probably just be a temporary blip, um, that yes, perhaps there is some truth to it. You know, your period comes back, your milk supply might drop, but it's just going to be a temporary thing. It's not going to be something, it's not going to be, you know, an ongoing issue if milk supply wasn't a problem beforehand. Okay. And the second follow-up question, I think that's fabulous. It's good to know, um, is when it's an older child, right? We spoke about, like you said, even five-year-old, a 10-year-old. When we're talking about those kids, I'm assuming we're coming from a totally different perspective, like things like anxiety or things like not having a good sleep environment. Are those the issues that you deal with when you're dealing with an older child? So I work with kids up to age five um, because you're absolutely right. When you're dealing with um, school age children and there could be, um, you know, something to do with mental health involved, that's obviously completely outside of my scope. And I would refer out to a mental health practitioner for that. But for a child that's like five, six and under, um, it's it, it. Yes, it's something that we have to be, you know, taking into account, but I'll tell you, like with the younger ones, a a really big factor that I think that we forget is that when when we humans are not getting the sleep that we need, it affects our mental health and children are no different. And so a lot of the time we think that, you know, especially with a younger child, that it's mental health affecting sleep when more often than not, it's actually the poor sleep affecting their mental health, where once, unless there is something very, very obvious, you know, a trauma as a something that the child went through that 
has necessitated that child to, let's say, seek out, you know, outside support in the mental health field. If that doesn't exist, and this is like a typical, healthy, stable environment with a three-year-old that has, you know, really, that really struggles with sleep, then I find the vast majority of the time that when you get that three-year-old sleeping through the nights, that suddenly it's like they're a new person. And, and I'm sure we, like as adults, can relate to that as well, right? Like suddenly that three-year-old is so much happier and they're less cranky and they're not tantruming as much and their separation anxiety goes down. And I can't tell you how often the families tell me, like, I feel like I have a new child right now. And so, you know, let's not forget how important the sleep piece is when it comes to mental health, um, because children are human as well. They're just they're just little humans, right? But I mean, anytime an adult goes to any sort of therapist or psychologist or social worker for support, one of the things they're going to ask the, their, their clients is, well, what's your sleep like? And then that's because that off the bat in you know, almost any intake, your therapist is going to be asking you about your sleep patterns because you can do, you know, you can talk through the reasons for your anxiety and depression and struggles until you're blue in the face. If you're only getting four or five hours of sleep at night, that's going to contribute to the problem, if not really exacerbate it. And kids are no different. So, um, again, there's a reason why I don't work with the older ones, because with the older ones, that is when things can get more complicated, but with the younger ones, I find that the vast majority of the time, um, you know, you fix that sleep hygiene, you remove those sleep crutches, you teach them how to sleep independently so that they can learn to sleep throughout the night. That's the game changer right there. Eva, it's interesting. Um, lately, for some reason, I've been buying some sleep props, I would call them for my children. Like they have sleep patches. Some of them have weighted blankets, a light crush sheet that's very tight, blackout mm. curtains. And I see like they enjoy all of these sleep tools. Yeah. Can we finish off our podcast with you giving us a couple of general tips regarding sleep hygiene? And, and yes, okay, absolutely. Um, blackout blinds are huge you know, creating a nice dark room for your little one is massive, especially if your little one is still napping, you know, it's mandatory because, um, remember if they're not napping well during the day, then they're going to be overtired and wake up more at night. And so if you're expecting them to nap well in a brightly lit room, there's a good chance that it won't happen. And so then not having those blackout blinds can have a bit of a domino effect where it means they then the room is too light. So then they struggle with napping and now they're overtired. And now they're waking up at night. Wow. And so, and so, yeah, it can, it can really cause things to spiral out of control. So I am a huge, huge fan of blackout blinds. Um, to be honest, I'm a big fan of like all the props that you just mentioned, because mm -hmm. those aren't crutches. They are props, right? They are, it's no different than like the blanket and pillow that I sleep with right? That you two probably sleep with as well to be able to sleep properly at night. Um, in fact, my 10 year old actually just asked me to get her a weighted blanket because she had a sleepover recently. And, um, 
and the family happened to have a weighted blanket there. They bought it for like another sibling and the sibling isn't using it just yet. And so they, so I think she was like, Hey, can I try out this 15 pound blanket? And she was like, mom, it was the best sleep in the entire world. And so I'm going to get her, I'm going to go on Amazon and I'm going to get her a weighted blanket because why, why wouldn't I, um, I'm a really big fan of white noise. Um, I find that it is in, in big families, it's mandatory <laughs> because if there's a lot of noise and a lot of commotion happening, um, you don't want your little one's naps to be getting interrupted by the background noise. And if anyone tells you, oh, they'll learn to sleep through the background noise, just nod and smile and say, thank you very much for the input and go and order the white noise machine <laughs> because that is an old wives tale um, that I think maybe a lot of our moms, you know, with the best of intentions might be telling us like, oh, just teach them. They'll just learn to sleep through noise. Here's the truth. Either they can sleep through noise or they can't, right? No different than either you can sleep on a 12 hour flight to Israel in a chair with everybody dinging for the stewardess every five minutes, or you can't. So my sister, who's three years younger than me, born and raised in the exact same home under the exact same conditions, same parents, same everything. She is that person who on a flight to Israel will close her eyes and be asleep for nine of the 12 hours. And then I am that person sitting next to her, wide-eyed, watching five movies in a row, dying of exhaustion not being a, like literally, unless you give me a full blown general anesthetic, I will not be sleeping on a plane because I need to be horizontal. I need my pillow. I need my bed and I need quiet. And I can't have people dinging for the stewardess every five seconds. It just doesn't fly. And you cannot teach me how to sleep on a plane. Just like you cannot teach the majority of kids to sleep in a brightly lit, noisy room. You just can't. It's not the way Hashem made us. Right. My sister is also that person where like when she comes to, you know, when she would come and visit and come to my mom's and she would, you know, come to my mom's for Shabbos. She was that person who was like asleep on the couch in the living room, like mid meal while my kids are like running around, jumping on her head. And she's like out, you know, those people, that's just the way she is. And some of your kids might be like that. But many of them are not. And if they're not, you can't teach them. Even if your mother swears that you can, you can't. <laughs> Eva, this, this conversation is so fascinating. Thank you so much, not only for sharing your knowledge, but also for making it personal and giving us examples from your own life and making it very real for us and our listeners. Eva, I'm sorry to have to cut this interview off right now. Um, we definitely need to hear more from you, but for anyone out there who does want to benefit from Eva's knowledge and experience, go to mysleepingbaby.com as well as the sleep Bible program, which you founded. And there's lots of information there as well. Yes. Thank you so much for having me here. This was a blast. Thank you. For listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Nigan provided by Chazan David Katak. We look forward to your feedback and comments. Please email us at bodiessouls.com, two S's, 